it's all the time. It's going to be amazing. Um, but this is our second to last week. So I want to say this. If you weren't here last week or you didn't hear the sermon last week, can I really encourage you to go to the website and listen to it? It was one of those weeks where God just moved, right? And I'm not saying he moved in everybody's heart and every single person in the room, but I could see it. Like, it was a sermon that I needed to preach. Like, I needed to hear it. Does that sound weird? Like, I needed to study, and I needed to pray over it. And God did something in my heart during the week. And then when I came to preach it on Sunday, I just knew the Holy Spirit was going to move. I just knew it, because it wasn't about me. It was about God. And, like, God just did something. There were things that were said that I needed to hear, that you needed to hear. As a church, we just needed to hear um, from God's Word. So if you missed last week, I want to strongly—I don't normally do that, right? My, my last, last week's sermon was so important, you need to hear it. Right? This is not about me. This is about what God did. And so if you didn't hear last week's sermon, I really encourage you to go back to listen to it. But this is our second to last week, and I really can't believe it. And so we're in chapter 40. And here's the thing. If we look at this chapter correctly, I think what we're going to see is it's not just the heart of this book. It kind of lays out the heart of this book, but really the heart of the whole Bible. Because we can read it and hear about the temple and hear about God's commands and the building of the tabernacle, temple, the tabernacle, building of the tabernacle, and it just seems like some things are happening. But this is really a culmination of what God has been trying to teach and show his people for this whole book. And if you just read it kind of straight through and you don't really take time to think about why God's doing what he's doing, like why he's consecrating priests and why he's consecrating the temple and why they're doing everything the way God commanded, and like you just kind of lose what Exodus is about, and what this chapter is really about. And so if you haven't been, we're going to get to that. So I want you to see it with me today. But if you haven't been with us, what we've really seen is what this book is about is God's glory going forth, which is what the whole Bible is about, right? But we, in particular, we see it in pretty dramatic ways in the book of Exodus. This book is about God's glory, that through God's covenant promises to Abraham, we see that God was faithful to those covenant prom- promises, which is one of our themes for this book, and it shows God's glory. Right? We see that God delivered his people who were slaves in Egypt and all the things that he did to free them from slavery in Egypt. Through those things, we see God's glory. And through those things, we see God's glory go to the world. Like the nations around them, the countries around them started to fear the Israelites. A bunch of slaves. Do you know why? Because God's glory had gone forth to the world. They'd heard about what he did and God got glory. But in the end, Although all those things are important and God's glory going forth to the world is important, as I've said before, it's three, four thousand years later and we're still talking about the story because God's glory went forth. But the most important part of the story is not that God's glory went forth to the world, but God's glory came to his people. That's really what this book has been about. Our main themes of this book have been God's covenant faithfulness. He's answering all of these promises through this whole book. God's deliverance of his people, which he did. Our last theme is God's presence. This whole book, when we, when we say God's presence or God's glory, in this book, they're almost interchangeable. With God's presence, with manna from heaven. Amazing. We've heard, if you've heard this story, it kind of becomes old hat, but that, that's amazing. We saw God's glory truly come when his presence fell on, on Mount Sinai with smoke and fire and lightning. And it was such a powerful moment that the people trembled in fear and the earth shook as God's glory came on to the mountain, and his people approached him really for the first time in his presence, even though he was at a distance. We've seen God's glory displayed even in their failure when they worshiped the golden calf. They pretty much betrayed God in the worst possible way. Right after he'd done all of this, they worshiped false gods, commit adultery against God, yet God was there to forgive them through the intercession of Moses. 
to, and to redeem them and to restore them back to the covenant that they had just agreed to right after that had broken in the, most, in the biggest betrayal possible, yet God forgave and he restored and he brought his people back and once again called them my most treasured possession in all the earth. The whole book is about God's glory. But again, ultimately, this book isn't just about God's displaying his glory or bringing his presence into the world, but it's that he's bringing his presence to dwell among his people. It's the story of Exodus in so many ways. That's the story of the Bible. A story about God restoring what was lost in the Garden of Eden. That's what the Bible is really about. That's what this book is about. And what God's pointing to that we're all going to have someday in heaven. It doesn't spoon feed us all of, what, all of that in this chapter. You just don't see it if you read it quickly. But what's happening in chapter 40 as God's glory comes to among his people is he's laying the groundwork for how that happens. How we can be near to God and how he can be near to us because he wants to be near to us. That's what we're looking for. That's what I want you to see. And it's telling us how that's possible. So let's look at it together in verse 1 again of chapter 40. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. Now, we're not going to spend this much time on two verses. We're going to go a little faster than this. But I wanted you to see just in this, just in this first thing, I wanted you to see um, what God is doing. Because it, may, it just seems like, okay, he's telling them when to build the tabernacle. It's not just he's telling them when to build the tabernacle. This is a really important day. Because do you remember what happened when they actually, the, the exodus actually happened and they left Egypt? How did God accomplish that? Through all the plagues, right? But on that last plague, through the Passover, he passed over their sins by the blood of the lamb. Like the consequences came to the Egyptians, right? But he passed over their sins because of the blood of the lamb. And then after that, God said, hey, I, from this point on, on, from this day on, you're going to have a feast of the Passover to remember what I have done for you, who I am and what I have done and who that makes you. So much so, it was such a big deal that they started their calendar over from that day. That was the start of their new year. And what it represented is God saying, everything in your life revolves around me and my glory and who I am and what I've done. Never forget. Do you think it's a coincidence that he's having them build the tabernacle for the first time on that day one year later? One year later, first day of the year that they've established as the new year just a year ago, God says, on this day, on the day of the Passover, on the day where the Passover meal and the feast begins, I want you to build the tabernacle. It's once again God reminding them, everything in your life revolves around who I am, what I've done, and who you are in me. And again, as a reminder, it's not because God needs our worship. God doesn't need anything from us. We need worship. We need life centered around God. Uh, outside, we'll chase the flesh, we'll chase our sin, we'll chase the world, and it's hollowness, and it's empty. God wants us to have the fullness of him. He wants to be with you, and he wants you to be with him. And so this is God, once again, reminding the Israelites, man, make it about me, and you'll have everything that you need. He's promised, I'll bless you, I'll protect you, I'll guide you, I'll guard you. Make it about me. And so on this day when they erect the tabernacle, it's not a random day. It's a reminder, once again, I am God and you are mine. Let's go. Right? This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And listen, we talked about it last week. It's not different for us today. As we said last week, as New Testament Christians, or I'll say New Covenant Christians, Old Testament really just means Old Covenant. As New Covenant Christians, how we rightly worship God is by offering our lives as a living sacrifice. Right? Romans 12, 1. 
Because of what Christ has done, because of what God has, we offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Like, we don't have our work life and our family life and our friend's life and this life. It's all for the glory of God. God wants that for you because he loves you. Everything in your life, how can I give this thing for the glory of God? To actually think about that. Do, do you think about it? We talked about it last week, but do you think like, man, when I'm hanging out with my old friends who I used to drink with, Man, I want to go hang out with them and have fun. Go hang out with them and have fun. But can you also think about, man, how can I bring God glory with these friends that God didn't used to really factor into, but he's the center of my life? How can I love them well? How can I love them more than the awkwardness and, and bring God's glory? It's, it's every aspect of your life thinking like that. How can I bring God's glory? How can I bring Christ into this? And so it's the same for us today. So I'll say the first thing. The first thing we're seeing in this passage, it's subtle, but it's there. For how we draw near to God and how draw, God draws near to us is by centering our whole lives around him so that we might see his glory, so we might proclaim his glory, so we might know him more. That's, that's the first one, how we draw near to God and he draws near to us. Let's look at the second one. I've got four of these today. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9 in chapter 40. It says this. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become what? Holy. Holy. What's such a big word in Exodus. Such a big word in scripture. Holy. So for God to dwell among us, for us to draw near to him requires holiness. Like they anoint everything in the temple. Like they're going to anoint the priests too, the people, but we'll get there in a second. That's the next step. Right? They anoint everything. What anointing does, it, consecrated, it consecrates it, which means to be set apart. Everything in the tabernacle is being set apart, is being made holy. If it's going to be near God, if this is going to be God's house, and it's not the Israelites' house, right? This is God's house. This is his home on earth. If it's going to be holy, everything must be anointed to be made holy. And this is God, this is how God says, this is how you make things holy. And I don't know if you've noticed as they walk through, it says Moses did as God commanded. Moses did as God commanded. Moses did as God commanded. Right, over and over and over. They're doing this, the way they're building the temple, the way they're setting up the temple, even the way they're anointing the temple is exactly how God commanded. Why? Because God's holiness is serious. They can't be perfectly holy and build this tabernacle perfectly, but they're making the attempt, right? They're following exactly what God has said to do. Because to actually have holiness requires perfect obedience. That's why it says over in, uh, in this passage again and again, as God commanded. For them to be holy, for this place to be holy, they follow what God commands. And so this place needs to be holy. And to be holy, they have to follow God's commands perfectly, perfect obedience. But I hope you see, for us to draw near to God and for him to draw near to us requires holiness. I would even say perfect obedience. That puts out a problem for us, doesn't it? Because are you perfectly obedient? Are you perfectly holy? No. So what do we do with that? We're going to get to that. But I want to leave it there for now. The second thing that we're seeing that God is doing and that he's showing the people is for you to come into my presence, for me to be near you and for you to be near me requires holiness, which requires perfect obedience. Perfect obedience. Let's look at the third one. Look at verse 12. I'm going to read 12 through 15. 
for the third way that we draw near to God and he draws near to us. Verse 12, then you shall bring Aaron, that's Moses' brother, and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting tabernacle is interchangeable. And shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. This is the beginning of the Levitical priests, right? Levitical priesthood that are going to intercede for the people from, from this point forward. Now, this is just a summation of the purification ritual. They went in like consecrating them, right? Setting them apart as holy. This is just a little snippet of what they did. If you, if you go later and read Leviticus 8, you can see the 12-step-plus the process that they had to walk through to be set apart as holy. It was crazy, all the steps they had to walk through. It was meticulous, right? It goes on and on. It's a really big deal for God to set them apart for the work of the temple, because in the end, they're not holy, are they? They're men, right? So they're not perfectly holy. So they go through, man, sacrifices and anointing and oil and washings and more sacrifices and, and peace offerings and, and wave offerings and all of these things so that they might do their job, which is to be mediators between us and God, right? They are to represent God to us. And they are to represent us to God. That's their job. And the way they do that is by people bringing, the main way they do that is by people bringing their sacrifices. And they a sacrifice to atone for people's sins. So that people's sins might be washed away. That's their job. That's their role. To point people to God. To help them remember. So that they could come near to God's presence at the tabernacle. And later which would become the temple. So the third thing, we've seen this other places in Exodus, right? The third thing we've seen all through Exodus and we're seeing right here, for God to draw near to us and for us to draw near to God, there has to be a priest who will make sacrifices on our, on our behalf to atone, to pay for our sins so that we might be clean enough to approach God in his presence. The fourth thing that we need to draw near to God and for him to draw near to us, look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. Like I said, church, this is not saying all these things exactly particularly, but if we follow this through the rest of the Bible, this is laying the groundwork for how we come into God's presence. Verse 20. He took the testimony and put it into the ark. That's the testimony. That's the tablets with the Ten Commandments on it. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil or the screen or the curtain and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. There it is again, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, this one is not as obvious if you haven't been walking through Exodus, so you don't know the history of this. So I just want to make sure we're all on the same page because this can get confusing. This is the ark of the covenant, right? The, the thing that they made to hold the Ten Commandments, which the Ten Commandments really represent the covenant that God made with his people, that they're to follow his commands, right? And so on the Ark of the Covenant, they put the mercy seat. And the mercy seat in this room called the Holy of Holies, the separate room in the tabernacle, is where God's presence would appear. Right? It's where God's glory, his presence would appear among his people. And that was a really big deal because no one was allowed in that room. The only person that's allowed in that room is the high priest. And he can only go in there once a day. Now, right now, they don't have a high priest yet, right? So who's, who's Israel's high priest right now? He's not described that way, but who's, who's Israel's high priest right now? Moses. 
Right? So Moses will go into the tent of meeting. Moses has been going into God's presence, but later it's only going to be the high priest after going through, not only being set apart through this ritual, but even for the high priest to go into this room. There's another ritual. There's another consecration. There's another anointing for him to go into this room. You do not go into this room under the penalty of death. Why? Because God is holy and we are not. And God's holiness rejects sin because he's holy. He's the opposite of sin. He's the opposite of evil. So there was a veil, there was a curtain that separated this room from the rest of the tabernacle so nobody could see in the room, so nobody could accidentally go into the room. And if you went in there, it was penalty of death. God's holiness is serious. It's serious. So what's the point here? Even though God is providing a way for his presence, his glory to be among his people, and he is, even though he is laying out a way for them to draw near to him, as he draws near to them, there's still a separation, isn't there? There's still a separation between God's holiness and their sin. There's still a separation between them and God because God's holiness rejects sin and they're sinful. So yes, sacrifices atone for their sin. They cover their sin, but it, the sacrifices don't truly make the people holy. So the fourth thing, fourth thing that's needed to draw near to God and for him to draw near to us is even though we can draw, they could draw near Right, Because of their sin, because the priest's sacrifices didn't make them fully holy, didn't fully make everything completely right, there still had to be separation between them and God. There was still a distance. So those four things, a whole life that is centered around God's glory, right? nearness requires holiness and perfect obedience, we need priests to be our mediators and to, to sacrifice on our behalf, and there still must be separation between us and God's glory, even though we can draw near. All seem to be laying the groundwork of how the Israelites are to approach God, to think about God, to respect his holiness, while at the same time making him central in their worship and drawing near to him. So with all of that kind of groundwork, with all that laid out, with them understanding all of God's commands in the tabernacle and how they're supposed to do these things, we actually see God's glory finally and truly come in the very end of Exodus. God's glory come and fall among his people in the tabernacle. Let's read it one more time in verse 34. Read it one more time in verse 34. Then the cloud, if you remember throughout all of Scripture, all of Exodus, God's presence was so often a cloud, right? A pillar of smoke, a cloud. Then a cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, why couldn't Moses enter the tabernacle? You ready for this? I don't know. It's really debated why. Here's what, here's what I think. Here's what I think is true. Um, I don't think it's because Moses is too sinful or just can't enter. Because look at the, if you've got it, look at the first verse of Leviticus. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Moses is in the tent of meeting, literally the next verse in the Bible in Leviticus, which is just a continuation of the story. So it's not like Moses was never allowed in there or nobody was allowed into God's presence. Moses was. So what do you think is going on here? What I think is going on is this is God establishing, this is my house. This is where my presence dwells. I determine what worship looks like. I determine how you approach me. I am God and you are not. God just making a point, not because he's trying to show off or be a megalomaniac, right? He's having, helping the people to understand, this is who I am. You need to respect my holiness and do things the way that I'm commanding. Because right after this, they're in the tabernacle, or at least Moses is. 
So keep going. I just want to stop there because that's a confusing verse and it's still confusing for a lot of people to this day exactly what that was all about. Verse 36. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Okay. Church, do you really do you really understand the implication of what just happened? I mentioned this at the beginning, but ever since Adam and Eve brought sin into the world by eating that forbidden fruit, there has been separation between God and his people. Right? Separation. God has not been near to his people, not in this way. Yes, we have seen moments, right? We saw times with Noah, and we saw times with Abraham, and we've seen times with Moses where God drew close to an individual, right? But God has not drawn close to his people like this since the fall in the garden. So think about it. I want you to think about it as we walk through Exodus. Like, you might think, well, God's been with his people, and he has, but have you noticed how it's always been separated? It's always been at a distance? When they follow the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire at night, at a distance, right? When God fell at Mount Sinai, right? Yes, his presence fell, and they approached the mountain, but were they allowed to go up on the mountain? What, what did it say was going to happen if they even touched the base of the mountain? That they would be killed, right? Separation, distance. Yes, they got to see God's presence, but it was always at a distance, right? When they were first setting up the tent of meeting, the tent of meeting will become the tabernacle, but there was a tent where Moses would go and meet with, meet with God at, when they started traveling. Where was that tent set up? away from the camp. It was set up off at a distance. God had not, he's moving nearer to his people. His presence and his glory is coming nearer to his people, but it had always been kept at a distance. But not here, church. Not here. God's tabernacle, again, which would later become his temple, is at the center of their camp. It's at the center of their civilization. Church is at the center of their worship. And we may take, take this for granted because of what we've been given in Christ and who we are in Christ now. But this moment is a huge step. It is a huge step in God restoring what his people lost in the Garden of Eden. We read things like this, and we're like, oh, cool. No, this is the story of God restoring what was lost. And this is an enormous step in that process when God's glory falls on the temple among his people, among, on the tabernacle, among his people where they can come and worship near him. It's a big Big deal. God wanted this so much that a long time before this, he made covenant promises to Abraham, saying, listen, your people are going to be my people, and I'm going to be their God. And throughout Exodus, we saw him fulfill promise after promise again and again so that this could happen, so that they could see what God was doing. They cried out to God for deliverance, and God heard them, and he answered because he's faithful to his covenant, because he loves his people, because he wants to be near to them, and he set them free from the most powerful nation on the earth, a group of slaves, and his glory went to the world. He was showing how steadfast he is. And he even forgave them when they really did the worst possible thing that they could have done. He forgave them and he restored them to show them just how forgiving and how merciful he was. All, all, all of it. So yes, his glory might go to the world, and it did, but even more so, so that his glory might be among his people despite their failures, despite their faults, because God longs to be with his beloved. That's how his people are described. His beloved, 
Not that he puts up with you. Not that he's a distant God that may or may not be with you at times. That you are his beloved. He's restoring the nearness that God longs for with you. And he wants us to to draw near to him. And that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. Especially if you're aware of your own faults and your own sins and how poorly at times you are at just following the simplest God's commands. Despite all that, he still wants to be near to you. He still wants to be near his people. And as amazing as this moment is in Exodus, and it is, if we wrap our minds around this, I know it was a long time ago, if we wrap our minds around it, it is an amazing moment. It's just a faint shadow. It's just a pale reflection and a whisper of what we have been given in Christ. Church, we we saw what God required. He was requiring for his people to draw near to him as his glory filled the temple, as his presence came into the tabernacle. But as we went through it, as we were talking through it, did any of you like think about how much more we have in Christ as we walk through those things that were required? As we talked about last week, as I mentioned before, our whole lives should be centered on God and his glory. Right? And that happens by us giving our lives as a living sacrifice because Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for us. Right? So we, we live our lives as a living sacrifice in response to what God did, not to earn what God did. You, you see the difference? God loves us so much as he did all of the work for us in Jesus Christ so that we could see, man, God loves us. He is for us. He is with us. He wants us. So in response to that, we give our lives as a living sacrifice because God is so good. That's, that's the first way we draw near to God and he draws near to us by actively trying to pursue him because of who he is, because of what he's done, and because of who he says we are to live our lives as a living sacrifice. If we do, God will draw near to us and we will draw near to him. The second thing that we see is we need holiness and perfect obedience. But church, Jesus is your holiness, right? Jesus is your perfect obedience. Don't take that for granted because you've heard it so many times from me. Jesus is your holiness. Jesus is your perfect obedience. Jesus came to be everything that we are not because he loves us, because he wants to be near to us. He was perfectly holy. He was perfectly obedient to his Father's will so that when he died on the cross, he not only took your sins, and he did, praise God for that, he washed you clean, but he gave you his perfect righteousness. He gave to you his perfect holiness because he wants you to be near him. He wanted you to be near the Father. So it's called the great exchange. We gave him sin and evil. He gave us holiness and righteousness. So that when God sees us, he might see perfect obedience. He might see holiness so he could draw near. It's amazing. It's amazing that that's how God sees us. Third thing. And we need a high priest, don't we? We need priests to intercede for us. We need sacrifice. But Jesus is the perfect priest. He is the fulfillment of the high priest. He's everything that even Moses couldn't be. We need someone to mediate for us between God and his people. But Jesus is the mediator sitting at the right hand of God who is indeed interceding for his saints, not sinners. He's interceding for his saints because that's how God sees us. That's how Christ sees us. He's interceding for you. So that he might look at the Father and be like, no, 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 I died on the cross. I gave that sacrifice. I was their priest, and I gave the once and for all sacrifice so that they could come, so that they could be clean, so they could be washed new, so they could come to you, Father. Jesus is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. Everything that was being laid out in all of Exodus in chapter 40, all of it was pointing to Jesus. All of the ways that they draw near to God was all pointing to Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the fulfillment of the high priest. And then our last one, and maybe the best truth of them all, 
Jesus is our answer to that separation between us and God. That's been there since the fall. That's what the veil in the temple represented, right? That curtain. It's what it represented, separation between us and God. Yes, we can come close, but not too close because we're not holy enough. Jesus changed everything. He is the bridge. He is the thing that ripped down that veil, ripped down that curtain. Hebrews 10, James, if you've got that, Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, listen, confidence to enter the holy places, that is a reference to the temple, but it's really a reference to God's presence, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. It's referring to the curtain in the temple, in the tabernacle. That is through his own flesh, through Jesus' broken body. And since we have a great priest, that is Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near what we're talking about today, right? This is what this, this whole thing is summing up Exodus, isn't it? It's bringing all of that, what Exodus said, all together so that we might draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Not full assurance because you're good enough. Not full assurance because you've done enough. Not full assurance because you love God enough. In faith. Just believing in faith that Jesus is enough. That he tore down the curtain. That he is the bridge. That he brings that separation together. In faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's what baptism represents, the pure wash, that we've been washed clean by Jesus' sacrifice. There is no more curtain, church. There is no more separation, church. God's awesome glory, God's redeeming presence is with us by the blood of Jesus Christ, by his atoning sacrifice, by his righteousness given to us who believe. There is no longer separation. Praise God. God. Do you realize if we would have went to someone in the Old Testament and said what we have in Christ now, they would have called it blasphemy. They wouldn't have been able to wrap their minds around it. The holy, they, they see it. That's why we need Exodus to see the awesome holiness and glory of God. We need to see how serious sin, how serious holiness, how serious God's glory is. Because when we see it, we understand what Christ did. And then we see the madness of 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and 20. We don't need the tabernacle. We don't need the temple. Why? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a, you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I want you to think about for a second how much time was spent in Exodus and will continue to be spent in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, but in particular, how much time was spent in Exodus to show us the seriousness of God's holiness. Seen so clearly in the unbelievable detail of what the tabernacle was supposed to be, how it was supposed to look, how it was supposed to be built to exact specifications, and then how much time they had to spend anointing the tabernacle and anointing the priest to make sure everything was done absolutely perfectly because of God's holiness. Think about the seriousness of that and that now he calls us his temple. We're the taber. We're the tabernacle. That's why verses like this can say you're not your own. Listen, they built the tabernacle and I think that the reason that Moses couldn't enter right away is because God was saying, this is not yours, this is mine. Just like our lives now in Christ, your life is not yours. It was bought. It was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ because you are now the temple of God. So we need to take that seriously. 
Right? We need to feel the weight of that, but also the joy of that, the goodness of that, the peace that comes with that, the joy of knowing that God loves us this much. He takes it that seriously, yet he loves us more. He wants to be near to us more. As I said before, we can draw near to God in a way that Old Testament believers would not have been able to understand. God, church so badly wants to be near to you. And he so badly wants you to be near to him that he sent his own son to die on that cross and to take the thing he hated most, to put the thing he hated most on his son. Can you imagine? So what we have now might be accomplished. It's incredible. And church, do you know how this happens? How we tr- do you know how we truly draw near to God and he draws near to us? Well, the first, the first major step is what we've talked about already today. We talked about it last week, Romans 12.1. We give our whole lives as a living sacrifice in response, not to earn, in response. That's one. This is why I call Romans 12.1 and 2 maybe two of the most important verses on how to, live this, how to live out our worship in the entire Bible. Romans 2 tells us that we are capable of living this out. We're capable of walking what God wants for us. We're capable of walking in God's will by doing what? Renewing our minds. I talked about this last week, and I, and I think that sounds to some of us, renewing your mind sounds almost unspiritual, right? There's got to be like the, the Holy Spirit. Of course the Holy Spirit is in the renewing our mind. Of course the Holy Spirit isn't in it. But it's, it needs to sound more spiritual than that. It needs to sound more like, I don't know, like holy? I don't know. It's, it's like, that doesn't sound like it's enough. Renewing your mind. That's how we move forward. Because in the Bible, as I said, I think I said this last week, like your mind and your spirit really are, are completely connected in the world. You, you, the word. You can't really separate your mind from your spirit. So in places like Galatians or Romans 8 says, if you walk in the, if you set your, if you set your mind on the flesh, you will walk in the things of the flesh. Like the flesh meaning the desires of this world, sin, not focusing on God, focusing on you, on the world, on sin. If you think about things of this world, if you think about things on the flesh, you're going to walk in the things of the flesh. But if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, you will walk in the Spirit. Your mind, your heart, your spirit, your soul are all interwoven together. That's how God views us. So church, how do you draw near to God? By constantly renewing your mind which will renew your spirit, which will draw you closer to the Holy Spirit, which will renew your heart and your soul to be more like Jesus. It's renewing your mind with who God is, with what he has done, and who you are in him through Jesus Christ. Listen, it's, it's by, I know pastors say this all the time, right? It's by reading the word. And not just reading it, but seeking God in his word worshiping God in his word, looking at what it says and thinking about what it says, renewing your mind with what it says, praying over what it says and letting it change you. It's being in the word. It's discussing these things in community, encouraging each other, exhorting each other, holding each other accountable, sort of, right? Holding each other accountable is just speaking the truth of what God wants for us and that we're children of God and who God is and who he is. So it's the community coming together. It's praying consistently. It's praying over and remembering who Jesus is. It's remembering that Jesus is our prince of peace. It's remembering that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. 
You want wisdom? It's that the Bible describes Jesus as our wisdom. Like Jesus is our wisdom. It's remembering that he is our salvation, that he is our righteousness, that he is your holiness, that his holiness is in you, that he is our holiness. Dwelling and thinking about how his holiness is in you. You are capable of walking in more holiness because it's not about you being good enough. It's that Christ is in you and through him you can be more holy. It's about it's Jesus is your redemption. It's remembering that Jesus is your sanctification. How you become more like him is through him. It's remembering that Jesus is your hope, that Jesus actually is your strength. You're trying to do all of this on your own. I know how the last year and a half has felt to so many of us. It's because we've forgotten how to worship God as our living sacrifice and everything feels like it's too much. I get it. We talked about it last week, but Jesus is your strength. Jesus is your mediator. Jesus is your high priest. Jesus is your king. And Jesus is your inheritance, which is your guarantee of heaven because he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Renew your mind. Renew your mind by thinking on these things and dwelling on these things and talking to God about these things and praising him for these things, and thanking him for these things, and asking him to help you to walk in these things, and your spiritual life will follow. And you will feel close to God. Church, how do you draw near to God? By constantly renewing your mind. Let me say this one more time. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. But hear this part. So important. Not because you have to draw near to God for him to draw near to you. But as you draw near to God, as you renew your heart and your mind and your spirit and you draw near to him, you'll realize that he was with you the whole time. He was always near. The world was just drowning it out. Your flesh, your worldly desires, your sin, your busy schedule was just drowning it out. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God never went anywhere. You need to renew your mind and draw near so that you can realize what is already true about you. It's already true. We live our lives like we have to get back to somewhere. And I get it. Everything in our life is about earn it. Church, this is already who you are. You're already a child of God. The work has already been done. Renew your mind with truth, not not checking a box of what what you need to do. It's renewing your mind and spending time with the Lord to remember who you already are. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Hear me, this is crazy. Hear me, God wants you to know him. God wants you in all your faults, in all your apathy, in all the ways that you focused on the world and not him, he still adores you. He still wants you. And he wants you to see that he's been with you the whole time. Church, any relationship in your life, any relationship in your life that is worth anything at all takes investment. And it takes time. And it takes effort for you to really understand that relationship, and for it to be healthy. And your relationship with God is no different. Everything that you need to draw near to God has been accomplished by Christ. 
and everything you need to draw near to God has been given to you right here. And hear me, right here, the community, and right here through the power of the Holy Spirit that is within you because you are the temple of God. You have what you need. What a precious, unbelievable gift God has given to us. A God that wants us to come into his presence, that wants to experience his glory, that wants us to be near him, who wants us to know, not just know, know him. So church, what it's going to take today is I'm going to ask, will you take the time to invest in him, to invest in that relationship so that you might truly experience him, so that you might actually experience the peace the Bible so often talks about, peace in Christ, the joy the Bible talks about, the hope, the strength. Draw near to him, and you will see he's already drawn near to you. I pray that you will invest. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we just praise you today. God, I just want to praise you. I just want to thank you. I just want to make much of you and your glory. How can this be true? God, I know what's in my heart. I know the things I've done. I know the things I think sometimes. I know the things I want to say to people sometimes, the things I want to do, yet you still forgive me. You still love me. You still want me. God, help, help us all to sit in the truth of that today. That you love us so much that you sent your son to die on a cross so that we could draw near, so there would no longer be that separation, that we could come into your presence with boldness and confidence through faith. God, it's incredible. God, maybe now more than any time throughout our church's history, we've we've needed you to teach us to worship again, to make you a living, to give our lives a living sacrifice to you again to remember the joy and the peace of following you again. God, help us. God, I'm so thankful that who you call the helper, the Holy Spirit, is within us, guiding us to this, because, God, we so often don't find it on our own. So, God, help us. God, restore our desire to follow you, to know you, to be near to you, and then go be ambassadors for you. And help us to remember, God, that it doesn't start with what we need to do that it starts with what you have already done because of who you are. Help us to marvel at who you are today, God. Help us to marvel of what you accomplished in Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Church, if you need prayer, I'll be over there with Tony and maybe a couple other people will come. I mean, if you need to just talk, if you need someone to pray over you, if you want us to pray over someone else, like, anything. If you, if you want to talk about this, some of this today, about setting your life on Christ again and, and learning how to live your life as a living sacrifice again, come talk to us. We'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, why don't you stand and we will worship together.
with blood drawn from Emmanuel's hands. In sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. In sinners plunged beneath that flood.
tongue lies silent in the grave in a nobler sweeter song I'll sing thy power to save I'll sing thy power to power to save then in a nobler sweeter song I'll sing the power to save Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new evermore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. 
sins they are many his mercy is more praise the Lord his mercy is more stronger than darkness new every morn our sins they are many his mercy is more our sins they are many his mercy is more Father, we praise you. We give you the glory today. Father, we pray that you would continue to transform our lives. And we know that you will because you've said that you will. And so we, we just worship you for being a God that keeps his promises. A God that has chosen to unite us to him. It's just such a beautiful reality that we don't deserve. But your mercy is more. And so we glorify you and we give honor to your name today. Father, we pray that you would be with us as we go out. We pray all of these things in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Have a quick seat. I'll do a few announcements. Um, the first one is, hey, Sarah, stand up right now. Just joking. Please stand up. Um, this is Sarah. Turn around, Sarah. Sarah is now the head of social media. Praise God. We needed it. I'm not even on social media anymore, so it's really important. Um, if you need any social media needs or have any questions or ministries that deal so, text, email Sarah. If you don't have that contact information, you know what she looks like now. Come find her, and she'll take care of you. So thanks for doing that, Sarah. That's awesome. Um, as a reminder, we've already said it today, this next Saturday, right? Is next Saturday the 17th? Next Saturday is the John B. Hughes event. Here's the thing. Um, we need a lot of people to serve. Like we have food and we have a connect table and we have set up and we have tear down. We even have Friday night when we need people to pull chicken because all the chicken's been donated, all the food, the, the meat has been donated, but we need people to pull it off the bone. And I don't know exactly why that's necessary, but I was assured that it absolutely is. It's absolutely. So we need people on Friday night. We need people on Saturday morning. So here's what I want you to do, church, um, particularly millennials. I love you. You know that this is a millennial church. Half of our leadership team is millennials. I love millennials, but they just don't sign up for stuff. It's like, I got it. I'll do it someday at some point. So hear me. Go to the website. We need you to volunteer. Corey and Lauren and the team, they need to know that you're going to be there, and they need to know where you're going to serve. And we need you to serve. Like, this is our kind of big summer thing, right? It's one of our big summer things. So if you can come, go to freshwatersgf.com, like, Right now or really, really soon, please don't forget and sign up for that you're going to be there and that you want to serve. I've had probably 10 people tell me they're going to be there and their families. Right now we have, I think, five adults signed up to, to volunteer, including my wife and I. P panic. Panic starts to set in, right? Where, where's Lauren? A little panic, right? We need you to sign up. So please, like, listen, this is our, our chance to go and be a master's for Christ, right? Gospel is going to be shared. Testimonies are going to be shared. This is the thing. This is what we do. We need you to be there. Like, I, I, not very often do I say, everybody come. We need everybody there. We need everybody to come. Right, we need everybody to be there. So 4 o'clock Saturday, all the information is going to be online. Go to freshwatersgf.com. I think it, it's described as like... Um, Something gospel testimonies? Concert and gospel testimonies. That's the link. Click on it, register, sign up, please, and thank you. I want this just to be an amazing thing. And then also, 
please, please remember this. Pray all week for this. We need the Holy Spirit to move. We need the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. And so please pray for the event this week. Um, another thing is, if you haven't done it yet, put it on your calendars, please. Save the date, August 20th, so you don't plan anything else. That is the welcome back party for Williams. That needs to be another really big deal. We want like everybody there for that one. And so we're trying to give you the date way ahead of a time. I've been announcing it for three weeks. Please save the date for August 20th. We'll probably have signups for that. Um, we're going to have food and games and the whole deal. Um, but I will say this. Not only am I excited to be back at Williams, but I just remembered who the sixth, uh, the fifth adult who signed up for the John B. Hughes event is. Do you know who it is? Miss Dessa, the principal of, the, of Williams Elementary. I didn't even talk to her about this. She found out. She signed up. She's going to be there. Miss Dessa's going to be, you better be there. Miss Dessa's going to be there. This is going to be a big deal. So six, July 17th, sign up. Save the date for August 20th. And then um, for, for those that are in youth, that are going to be involved in youth, on, on August 11th, they're going to have a kickoff party for the new year of youth. And so any incoming sixth graders and their families and basically anybody else in, in youth now is invited to that. And it's going to kind of be a kickoff party informational thing for, for new parents, especially the fifth graders going into sixth grade, or anybody that just might have interest. Like if you have interest in coming to youth and you haven't in the past, please come to that. That'll be August 11th, and it'll be at the Freshwater House, correct? And then two weeks after that, we'll actually start youth. So the new fifth graders who are sixth graders will roll in on August 25th. They'll officially be a part of youth, um, and that'll be great. And then the last, last thing, the elder dinner is going to be August 1st in the evening right here. And so really quickly, if you haven't heard that, Tony is going to be um, ordained as one of our elders at the end of the summer. And so about a month before we ordain him, we're going to have an elders dinner where you can come if you don't know him, especially if you don't know him all that well. Get to know him and get to know his wife, Tori, because this is very much a job that they do together. Like our wives are a huge part of the decision-making process at Freshwater. And so you can get to know them as a couple. You can ask Tony questions. You can ask Tori questions. We're going to have some people share about why Tony is going to be an elder of our church and um, kind of some testimonies about, about Tony um, and again, it was the Pentecost that came up with that idea. It was such a great idea. Thanks for this idea. I love it. Um, and so we're going to have an elder dinner and really um, get to know each other better. Be, uh, having a pastor of your church is a big deal, right? So we want to make it a big deal. So please come to the elder dinner on August 1st. And then lastly, please get into a life group if you're not in one. You know how I talked about how we, we really draw near to God is through community? Well, if you're not in community, you can't do that. This is, this is kind of community. This is the gathering of the church, but you can't really dive in together. So if you're not in a life group, get into one. And if you don't know about life groups, well, come find me. I'd love to invite you to mine. So anyway, church, we love you. You are dismissed.